Genesis chapter 1, which you know is the creation story. And so the God of wonders is laid out here in Genesis 1, 1 through 5 as we begin. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the waters, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I had a lot of fun planning this sermon series for the new year. We have three weeks in a row today when we talk about the creation of all things. Next week, Mark will preach on the uh, star that led the wise men. And then the third week, we have Jesus being baptized and the heavens are broken open. And so I look forward to you joining us each of these three Sundays for In the Beginning like many of you, I have been home a lot this last week, and my husband and I had all kinds of outdoor projects that we needed to do, <laughs> but it snowed, and it was so beautiful and wonderful, and it gave us a really good reason, like forced relaxation for John and I. And, but we had trouble finding anything that was sort of binge-worthy to watch on TV, uh, and so we ended up watching a lot of movies. We're about 50% successful in choosing movies that we didn't regret later. <laughs> but one of the movies that we watched was George Clooney's new movie on Netflix, where he also directs the movie. It's kind of a sad movie about the earth being destroyed through radiation and people trying to find a way to survive. I, this is an image from the movie. Clooney's character is a renowned scientist who's terminally ill, and he's trying to contact astronauts in space to warn them that they cannot return to Earth. For two years, they have been testing a moon at Jupiter as a potential habitable place for humans that this scientist has identified as potentially stable for life. Now here's the spoiler, I'm gonna tell you the end, and I'm sorry if you really wanted to watch that movie, but in the end of Midnight Sky, he has finally gotten through and contacted the people that are on the spaceship and told them that it is unsafe to return. And some of them choose to return anyway to be with their families. But the ones that have decided to go back to the moon that they've been on for the last two years, they're thanking him for all he has done to make that possible. And he says, and I quote, all I did was point. All I did was point. Now, of course, being the preacher that I am, it made me think of John the Baptist because we've been in Advent and we talk about John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, the one who comes after me is the Messiah. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so I thought about how we are beginning a new year. And once again, we are making a decision to point our lives, our words, and our deeds to Jesus. Now, if we do not want to point our lives to the Jesus, and we, are, we have to decide, are we serious about this? 
because we can pursue our own wishes and our own desires instead. But if we point to the life of Jesus as the word of God and the way we should live our lives, then we have to consider the way he lived his life with selfless love, for embracing the outcast, for turning the other cheek. Now, this is countercultural to the world we live in, to the communities in which we inhabit. This is a different way to live. On this first Sunday in the new year, we are reminded of this commitment that we literally make every single day to follow Jesus. This year, on this Sunday, we begin with the Lord's Supper and a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And then we were, are going to offer you the opportunity to participate in the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Now, you may not know what that is. And so let me tell you what the Discipleship Ministries website says about it. It says that John Wesley adapted this prayer from the Puritan tradition. In case you didn't know, his mother was a Puritan and one of like 20 some odd children. And life in the Epworth Rectory. It informed his theology and preaching. He expected the people called Methodists to pray this prayer at the beginning of each new year as a way of remembering and renewing their baptismal covenant. The prayer describes the life of a participant with Christ in his mission. It's a practical description of what Jesus was talking about when he said, if anyone wants to follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself, from Luke 9, verse 23. Baptism, we know, marks the beginning of a life in Christ, and his, in the Greek term, ekklesia, or community, we become a people who pursue a holiness of what John Wesley called heart and life, universal love, filling our hearts and governing our lives. The covenant prayer, it helps us remember what this Jesus way of life looks like and what loving God with our whole heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves is reflected in our lives. So today we have a new beginning, a new year, a first Sunday, and we read from this very beautiful language of Genesis 1 and the creation in the beginning Things were formless and chaotic, and we get this poetic language about the face of the deep. And the very first thing that is created in the midst of this darkness, I love the word in Hebrew, tohu vavohu, this chaotic darkness. The very first thing that God does is create light, light in the midst of the scary chaos of the deep. And God says that it was good. So today, we have lit the Advent candle, and you have heard the beginning of the Gospel of John. It's so different than the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, because there are no shepherds, or wise men, or angels, or literally, there's no baby. <laughs> there's no mother. There's no stable or manger. It's more poetic and abstract. I was trying to come up with a good metaphor for this, and it made me think about perfume commercials, which you may think is strange, but let me explain. 
sometimes when I see a perfume commercial on TV, they almost always have a beautiful woman, sometimes a swimming pool or a fancy car. And then at the end of the commercial, they'll put up the label for this perfume. And you're like left scratching your head going, wait, what were they selling, right? Because the imagery has nothing to do with the product whatsoever. And so John's gospel asks us to raise our eyes out of what the humans are doing, and he asks us to lift our eyes to the heavens and to say, what in the world is God doing here in this incarnation story about who Jesus is? Now, I don't know if any of you wandered around on your block and in your street and in your neighbor's yard like I did, looking for the planets who were lined up right before Christmas. But we, we all over the world, people cast their eyes to the heavens. And that's what the Gospel of John asks us to do. Raise our eyes to what God is doing in the midst of this. This divine language reminds us of this Genesis passage. It's literally, word for word, in the beginning. And it stakes the claim that the word was God in the divine inbreaking of creation. That this word literally manifests itself in the flesh of Jesus. Let's hear it again, just in case you didn't catch it the first time. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify to the light. You see, there's the pointing, right? So that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The author of the Gospel of John points to Jesus being present since the beginning of everything. He points to the heavens like John the Baptist points literally to Jesus. In Jesus, the barrier between the divine and the holy is broken. This connection to God is intimate now. And we hear in verse 14 that it pours forth grace and truth like an umbilical cord between an infant and a mother, Je through Jesus we are connected and can know God in a way that has never been possible before. It feeds us with forgiveness and love, this thing we call grace. And the scripture says so beautifully, grace upon grace. Let me read you a little more. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not respond. But to all who received him, who believed in him, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, 
or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Let me say that again. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, who ranks before me, goes ahead of me because he was before me. There's that poetry again that's a little confusing. He who comes after me ranks, before, ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. This text from John 1 is, shapes our understanding of the Trinity, how Jesus could both be of God and God. The author of the Gospel of John wants us to recognize where Jesus' authority comes from, that he was with and present at the beginning of everything, in the beginning now, when I talk to Jonathan and Hannah about this series and these kind of holy inbreakings, Hannah sent me a meme that was the genie in uh, Aladdin, and it says, phenomenal cosmic powers, itty-bitty living space. And I laughed at the time, but it really is the perfect illustration of the gospel of John's claim of who Jesus was here on earth. Phenomenal cosmic powers, itty bitty living place. We are reminded that this phenomenal cosmic power took on flesh and dwelt among us. As our eyes are pointed to the heavens, we are reminded that Jesus embraced his humanity to the point of being confined to the limits of the fragility of our bodies. He faced rejection. He accepted the limits of his body and ultimately of a horrible, horrible death. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. This is the God that John wants us to remember. This is the word that lived among us. This is the beginning of the light triumphing over the darkness in our world and in our lives. So today, we invite you to remember what happened in the beginning. Let me repeat what I said in the very beginning of this sermon. Today, we are called to point our lives, our words, and our deeds should all be pointing to Jesus. If they do not, we need to decide if we are serious about following Jesus or if we would much rather pursue our own desires and wants because those are different things. If we point to the life of Jesus as the word of God and the way we should live, then we have to point to the things that Jesus was about, like selfless love, turning the other cheek, 
embracing the outcast. This is counter to our culture and our community. This is a different way to live. On this first Sunday of the new year, we are reminded of this commitment that we wake up and make every single day as a follower of Jesus. People who are called to love God with our whole hearts and souls and minds and who love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.